That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, you're here in real life. Here I'm we here. are. I'm in my way to Texas, it feels, God's country. I feel a little um, attacked, threatened. Uh, usually there's a 2,000 mile gap between us and. You're not sitting right here in front of me, but because you are here in Texas as we're having our annual clergy uh, support group retreat, uh, we're going to take some time out of that to record a couple episodes here. That's right. Always working. And it's the real presence. (laughs) That's right. You're in 3D in the flesh. Our listeners can't see it, but I'm I'm actually touching Jake right now. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm poking him in the arm, and he appreciates it. I'm truly here. (laughs) So we're recording for the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, and the readings are Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20, as we near the end of that book. Uh, Then as we continue through 1 Corinthians with San Pablo, chapter 3, and then uh, the, the gospel is... Matthew 5, 21 through 37. I will say, by the way, before we start, I didn't, you know, usually we begin, I ask you how you're doing. I don't have to, because I know how you're doing, because I've mm-hmm. been with you for two mm-hmm. days. So mm-hmm. anyways, it's uh, it's great to great to be here with you. Yeah, well, the readings uh, this week are, I think, are a little interesting. Uh, they can send you down uh, the path of uh, free willy. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, Makes it sound like you have a lot of agency, autonomy, ability to choose. A lot of choices. And so, but as we believe here on Same Old Song, free will is a fiction. And, um, um, you know. Just leading it, leading off with that. Just yeah. a very non-controversial, <laughs> surely not to provoke any of our listeners uh, who yeah. spend weeks trying to convince people to do things. And yeah. now you're telling them that the people they're trying to convince to do things don't have any free will. Now, if Where, you, how dare you, Jake? Yeah, I know. What are we robots? <laughs> How do you respond to that uh, to that response when people are like, "Well, what do you mean? I mean, are we robots? Is this determinist? Are you a determinist?" Uh, I think uh, the the way I respond to that is to say that. First of all, I'm happy to acknowledge the fact that there's mystery and complexity as how we understand free will. Um, and I think there are many decisions that, f- for the most part, feel relatively free. Mm-hmm. I picked the blood orange sparkling water just now. I had other options. That sort of felt like a free choice, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think what we, when we say that we are very skeptical about the existence of free will, we tend to, um, at least I tend to uh, be referring to those parts of your life where it's not just choosing sparkling water. It's like the big choices, and you absolutely know what is right and what is wrong. Mm. And you, in that place where any rational actor would not choose to date the narcissist or to pick up the third, fifth, and twelfth beer of the night, um, where, where you would not drain your ATM 
to take another shot at the craps table. Like any rational person would say, don't do that. And yet we we don't make those choices. So it seems like in the, in the, everybody has some area of their life where they know what the right choice is and they seem unable to make that right choice. Um, and so it, it does seem that where it really counts, there isn't really much free will. Mm. Mm. How do you respond to that charge yeah. of... No, I think uh, I think there are yes, there are some things in our life that are completely out of our control, and uh, that you just wouldn't choose. But you know, like nobody chooses, you know, spots on a lung. Nobody chooses certain thing. Nobody chooses where they were born, or no one cho- chose the fact that your parents got divorced when you were eight. And these things have profound effects upon us. Um, but when we talk about free will, and that's like we're not talking about choosing, like you said, blood orange versus Coke Zero. What we're talking about is um, the things that are above us. Mm. And this is what the reformers meant when they talked about the bound will. Yeah. The opposite of free will is not election. Mm. Like everybody, the opposite of free will is the bound will. And what we mean by that is that in uh, those things that are above us, God. Um, um, on our own, we would not choose him mm-hmm. because we're so busy trying to be gods ourselves. Right. And so, and we're going to see this po- play out, especially in the Deuteronomy reading. I think you're going to see that played out uh, most certainly. Uh, the, the the idea of free will as a fiction in our gospel reading. And there, and so, and there is some. And this the way, wouldn't be like something you'd probably want to preach. Right. Like, but uh, it, we're just set doing it because we can. And I will say, I will say the. Uh, yeah, you're not going to offend me. Uh, I'm bound. If 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 you do um, have a view of people where you view them as free and able to choose, it will impact your preaching and you will preach as if they could choose. You'll you'll end your sermon with, as I always call it, the salad statements, the let us now, let us, let us, let us. Um, or you may even specifically like demand your people change some sort of aspect of their behavior. Mm-hmm. And if you believe they can freely choose that, you will preach that and they will by and large not do those things mm-hmm. and you'll be angry and bitter frustrated preacher and your people will feel guilty and resentful and ashamed and maybe will stop coming to church so i think and you'll start um, to hate them too yeah and and it affects pastoral care you, if you think that people are free you tell them what to do if you think that they're bound you probably just mostly listen mm-hmm. and pray that the holy spirit would work in them where they can't get well, it done and if you think they're free your ministry is all about constraining them mm-hmm. uh, and if you believe that they're bound then your ministry becomes about setting people free the the um yeah absolutely and i think the one last thing about this there is some evidence from people who study brains the the cognitive neuroscience uh, wizards of the world and there is some early indication that the parts of your brain involved in decision making those synapses fire before you're aware of having made a choice oh wow so it the science um you know science is not the be-all and end-all I studied history of science in college, and it's definitely um, not a good thing to want to say, like, the science proves the Bible or something. That is a losing um, kind of path to go down. But um, it is interesting when findings in the world of natural science um, are aligned with things that we see in our own lives and in the scriptures. So, That's good. All right. So, so we come to chapter 30, uh, verses 15 to 20 of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, And uh, there we have 
Moses, interestingly, these outside in the in the land of Moab, and Israel's come right to the border of the Promised Land, and uh, Moses isn't going to make it in. Um, Moses can't get you into the Promised Land. Uh, he can get you to the edge, real close, and you'll see it, but uh, you won't get in uh, with Moses. And so here Moses is um, delivering kind of a final pep talk. And it begins with, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If Blue you, pill, red yeah, pill. Yep, absolutely. Lots of choosing. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land forever. Easy choice. Easy, man. Just, just do it. It's like that old Eddie like bit. Would you like tea and cake or death? Yeah, yeah. Which one do you want? That's the Church of England for you. Uh, yeah, we're very, it's making an easy choice. Um, yeah, and I think it, it is uh, tempting to view this passage as something that um, you as a preacher will just stand up there and say, you know, Get choose, Look choose, at me. choose a good thing. Mm -hmm. Choose, Yeah, why would you choose death? Why would you choose to not obey God's commandments? Um I mean, Moses lays that out really clearly. Like, if you do that, everything will be great. And if you don't do that, everything will be terrible. Which, by the way, is true. Mm -hmm. Like, following God's commandments, uh, don't don't call me an antinomian. Uh, it, God's law is good, holy, and true. And it, this passage is 100% correct. Like, if you do follow the commandments, you will have a life that is full and thriving. And if you serve other gods, which are false, destructive forces they will destroy you. Mm. So it is true and right. But again, as we've said, this passage has to be put into its context where this is part of what God is revealing to his people, which, you know, this is a snapshot of a long process of pe God's people are, are going to come to understand mm. eventually that they need help and that God is the one that will... Um, save them, not them themselves. So this is kind of a beginning of that journey of uh, human beings realizing that they they aren't as free as they think. Yeah, I think uh, the the thing the thing here is when you preach this, you know Moses says um, at the end, "Live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob." You know, and God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that covenant was by what? It was by faith. Abraham believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. And, uh, and uh, the same thing goes with us. Uh, no one will be justified by doing. Uh, we come into the land uh, not because we've made a choice, but because God has made a choice about us. And as this continues to come down, uh, this choice uh, about us is made in Jesus. And God himself for you has chosen life. And God himself has chosen you to live. And God himself has chosen you to dwell with him forever. Mm. And so uh, this comes not by our choosing and doing, but comes by faith. And it's in by living by faith that uh, actually the good things uh, that um, may appear to be choices, we begin to see them as fruits in our life, the fruit of faith. Mm -hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control coconuts mm. but anyway <laughs> my favorite fruit yeah. uh the other thing um i think it's it's important uh to uh keep in mind here 
Um, again, um, I feel like I, I, I've said this before, but I want to say it more clear because I don't feel like I really did a great job of it. Um, that this, you want to, I, if I were preaching this passage, I would want to set it kind of in the big context of salvation history, of kind of yeah. the whole story of the Bible. And saying um, the fact that the Bible does not end with Deuteronomy. Um, this verse is not one that we're supposed to just take out kind of as a proof text for these verses and say, see, people can just choose to do good. People mm. are basically good and you just give them a choice and they'll follow it. Like the the Bible story continues and we continue to see people not choosing good over and over and over and over. So this is in one way you can see the Old Testament um, and much of scripture in the, in the Christian scriptures as um, kind of a, a giant parable of you can't get it together on your own and you need help that's bigger than you. Yeah. Um, which is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, whereas we, we talk about a lot. Jesus says, he ends it by saying, be perfect. This is another passage where people think the Sermon on the Mount is something they can do. And the passage ends with the disciples having the correct response, not we can do it, but this is impossible. And who can yeah. do it? And that's where Jesus says, of course, um, you know, you got to, God with God, all things are possible. God is the one who does this through you. So, mm. um, so this is this is uh, Deuteronomy thirty is the is the the high point of can make a good choice uh, and sort of that you that you can't um, and and that is what reveals the human condition and begins to open us up mm. to a savior who Saint Paul is going to talk about in First Corinthians chapter 3 1 through 9 where we're now beginning to really get into the the thick of the problems in the Corinthian church mm -hmm. uh, where they have um, you know they've picked teams uh, some people are big Patriots fans some people are big Cowboys fans some people root for the Cleveland Browns for whatever reason <laughs> so uh, and um, they've but they've picked pastor teams I belong to Paul I belong to Paulos um, and w Paul responds um, pretty interestingly. Jake, what would you say about this passage? Um, well, I think we make a great team, Aaron. We do! <laughs> yeah, don't have a favorite same old song mm -hmm. co-host. Yeah, that's right. You love, love us, us all equally. equally. That's right. Um, Look at us finishing each other's sentences. Look at an old married couple. Mm. But uh, I think, um, well, I think one, I mean, the thing I would is that, that um, salvation is instant, but it's also a process. And God is at work through different people in our lives. Mm. I mean, I, I wouldn't like probably with preach you. This text. I, I have to learn how to forgive. Yeah, that's all right. the time. <laughs> I, yeah, I learned so much patience by yeah. just hanging out with you. The um, well, the other thing I think about this passage is that it is an example that even for the Christian, um, what you know, what we just learned from Deuteronomy, uh, which is God says, or well, Moses says, choose the good, not the bad go for it and then the rest of the Old Testament is a story of people not doing that mm -hmm. um, sometimes people think well Christians uh, now that they have the Holy Spirit they're baptized mm -hmm. they're in Christ they now they you know the people in the Old Testament maybe they didn't have free will but we do we're sanctified now and we will not have these problems but here look at this church in Corinth as when Paul began chapter 1 saying you are strengthened you're sanctified you're mm -hmm. chosen you're holy all that and here they are clearly not free because if they were free they would choose to not have quarrels they would choose not to have factions they would choose mm -hmm. not to get outraged and 
pick sides and have all these uh, kinds of very petty human thoughts, mm. but they don't. Um, they don't choose that. They are behaving according to human inclinations. And Paul sort of sees this tension. He says, you know, you you are in Christ, but you're infants in Christ, and you're you're kind of still living in the flesh, as we say here. Simul justus et peccator, simultaneously justified and a sinner. Mm. And so this is. Uh, and this is a little case study just showing that what we learned in Deuteronomy that people can't choose uh, is true, even for the Christian. Yeah, and it also reminds you what um, what uh, unfree people actually do, uh, because unfree people, and this is why your ministry is very important, preacher, is because unfree people like to cling to things. Mm. They like to cling to things they can see. They like to cling to things that they can touch. And so here, um, they're clinging to particular people, like father figures, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, we all have dad issues, and uh, you know, and those become so, sort of anchors. And what Paul is reminding these, these Corinthians is, is that you're clinging to the wrong thing. Mm. And this is why it's important to preach the gospel, because the gospel is the word that actually can set people free. And, uh, and that's the eternal thing to cling to, not the person, and that rather God is working through these people to bring about the sanctified life, to bring about the Christian life. And, uh, and, uh, but but we, we tend to cling to the wrong things. And actually what God is doing is through all of these different people's lives and different people in your life as well is, um, is, is bringing together something glorious. But um, we have the tendency to cling to the wrong thing as opposed to uh, the right thing, which is a promise. And that promise needs to cling to us. And it, and, it does, and I think, you know, this passage to me says, again, you know, because this one voice of the Bible, this the one-way love of God, we hear it and see it here. Just like you pointed out in the Deuteronomy passage, you, you, you talked about how it, at the end of this passage, it refers to the covenant that God has made, and that's a covenant by faith. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it is God who gives this gift. And and here we see Paul responding to these factions in the early church uh, the, with the same idea that it is God who does this. Mm. Apollos and Paul are nothing. Mm. Uh, it is God who gives the growth. It is God who makes the church grow. It is God who does all these things. And uh, he just has a very God-centered view that... that we are God's field, God's building, God does this all. He's the one that's planting and uh, sowing and reaping, and he's the one that is building the building of the church, mm. the, the people. He's the one that's doing this work. If you have sort of we-can-choose mentality, you also tend to have the same, it's, which is a very human-centered thing, mm-hmm. high anthropology, high view of our ability to choose and to do things and make decisions. And so you're also going to have a kind of very human-centered view of preachers and spiritual leaders as people who can be your coach, who can give you those um, mm-hmm. inspirational statements and just get you all kind of f- fill up your tank of resolve and free right. will and choices. And, and then you're going to go out there and do it. You're going to want a church that will have a preacher that will, you know, tell you every week but if you're someone who does not really believe in free will that much and you see human beings as bound in their will then you have this view of paul which it is the the preacher can't do it mm. preachers plant uh or water the the seed but it is god who does the work and so you're much less attached to this preacher or that preacher or this church or that church um 
and, and again, these to me, I, I just see these as you know your fundamental view of what human beings are like. Are they free to choose, or is their will bound? It's going to ha- have a huge impact on who you are, how you preach, how you see others, and how you see spiritual leaders. Um, mm. If you see them also as as just vehicles, vessels through whom God works, um, not people to be worshipped or kind of I don't know that whole cult of personality stuff which yeah. you see in this in this passage. So. Uh, which is a good, which is a good reminder. And you know, for me as a preacher, uh, I am absolutely guilty of thinking um, that you know I have to get into the pulpit and preach the perfect sermon to make people do whatever I want them to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it is so encouraging to me to remember and be reminded by this passage that it is God who does the work. You know, Amen. I plant, I water, and so if you listener are preach and, and feel like it's all up to you to make the magic happen just remember it's not um, it doesn't mean we don't prepare and don't care about trying to do a good job but keeping in perspective that's right anyway so that's what i'm, I'm i mean paul's preached to me he today. is i know you don't you don't yes jake's like i don't I've, have that problem i don't have that problem i've arrived i am i walk into the pulpit completely trusting and free of anxiety ready to go yep so but uh, but I'll tell you what I do have a problem with is this Matthew chapter 5 passage. Say more. Boy, this just exposes me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Sermon on the Mount. We are in the second section. So the Sermon on the Mount is 5, 6, and 7. And uh, each chapter can be divided into two sections. And uh, in chapter 5, we saw the Beatitudes last week. And then this week we hit, um, so, you know, Jesus basically functioning as the new Moses. Mm-hmm. Um and he is uh, uh, basically delivering uh, the full intent of what the law is meant to be. And yep. uh, oftentimes we interpret the law as this sort of ladder that we've got to climb. And uh, But nowhere is that um, described in the Bible as a ladder. Um, the law is described in the Bible as a word. And uh, this word's job is to... Um, it's, as you said, holy, right, and good. And the point of the law is to expose the fact that I'm not. Um, I'm not as free as I actually think. And so we begin to see that the context of this passage is, is Jesus is taking these ideas, these laws, and notice what he says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And so this is Jesus teaching as one who has total authority. They're going to say that at the end of uh, chapter 7 because he's not quoting any other rabbi. He's going right to the law and he's saying, but I say this to you. And he is taking the law from simply your actions Mm. and making it all about your intent. He's taking action, uh, your actions, and saying actually your problem is bigger than what you do. Your problem is your very core. Who you are. Your problem is you. Yeah. Uh, You know, I love that old AA adage, I woke up in the morning and I saw the face of the enemy, and then I shaved him. So, like, he's he's exposing who we are. Which is Taylor Swift's new album, has a song along the same lines. You know, hi, it's me, I'm the problem. Uh, She has the same uh, recognition. So... Yeah, Jesus is taking the law to its highest point here, because as Moses, if it had just stayed with what Moses said, just do these things, even mm-hmm. though we already sort of said that's impossible, uh, at least it's this sort of concrete. This exposes why that's impossible. Yes, because he, uh, Jesus says, "You've heard it say, don't do, don't, don't murder." Okay, I haven't done that, 
But I say to you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. If you insult them, you're liable to the council, mm-hmm. sort of an ecclesiastical court. And if you say you fool, you're liable to the hell of fire, Gehenna. So um, he's he's saying it's not just that I don't want you to kill people or that God doesn't want you to kill somebody. He's like, he says your real problem is that root of rage where that comes from, mm. uh, which um, you know somebody I heard maybe it's on Twitter. I saw this a parent talked about I before I was a parent and we were going through like the um, prenatal classes and the labor delivery classes the breathing stuff all that you know one of the things they would teach us is soon to be new parents all they kept saying don't shake the baby don't shake the baby I was like who would ever shake a baby why do they keep talking about this it's like telling me not to put my hand in the blender like I would never do that you don't have to tell me not to shake the baby and then they had the baby yep and you know that sort of late night inconsolable crying you're exhausted and nothing you're doing is working and all you know and you sort of lose your mind and that so that kind of um, murderous rage that can shock you but it is in every person and this is jesus is getting he's trying to do this um, let's expose the root of the problem let's expose the parts where you are your will is bound Mm. and, and there's stuff that comes out from the inside uh that the problem is sort of baked in this is why yeah. we are, this is why we pray in the collect of purity. This yes. is why the collect of purity is so important. We begin every service in the Episcopal Church with this prayer. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts mm. by the insp- Almighty God to you all hearts are open all desires known and from you know, so cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Because it is it is not your brain. It's not what you do. What you do does not define you. Mm. That's an Aristotelian, Aristotelian fallacy. It is, according to the Bible, it is your very heart. And this is why we need to pray to have it cleansed and uh, by the Holy Spirit. Because what you and I need, about every seven seconds, <laughs> is a total and complete heart transplant. Resolutions don't cut the mustard. And also, I do want to say that this passage, which includes the famous verses about if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Um, that this is not um, step-by-step instructions about how to stop. Some people, every, what the, the kind of classic move with that passage is to um, say, identify this, find out what's causing it, uh, and and get rid of that thing. So if you are addicted to Ritz crackers, throw them out. If I you, wish that was my problem. If you're addicted to Miller Lite, you know, pour it all down the drain. Uh-huh. Uh, if you if you're addicted to whatever. Um, or whatever caused you to sin, like just cut it out of your life. And and that is a simplistic reading of this passage because we all know that an alcoholic can pour the liquor down the drain and it's not like they're cured. Um, You can um, uh, get rid of your, your stash of Twinkies, but it doesn't change the deeper emotional, psychological, spiritual things that led to your disordered eating and all the stuff that that is connected to that. So, um, and so if you were to, what, the reason Jesus is saying, cut off your hand, pluck out of your eye, if it causes you to sin, he wants you to start, he's is a good teacher. He's inviting you to get curious about why he'd make such an extreme statement as you begin to think about it. Like, okay, I'll pluck out my eye, I'll cut off my hand. Now I'm not a sinner. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, mm-hmm. I'm now sitting here having sinful thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to, basically, if you want to follow the log, Jesus' statement to its logical conclusion, you realize you have to cut off your head. Mm-hmm. You have to die. 
um, which, as Jesus will say later, come follow me and die, take up your cross. So it's, it's an invitation to come to the end of yourself, to get to that place of the first step in AA, uh, my life has become unmanageable and I'm powerless to change it. And when you get to that place, aha, now you're ready. The door can be opened for the Holy Spirit to come in and do mm-hmm. that work. So this Jesus' point here is to help you realize that it's not just about not doing bad things. That's not what God really cares about. What he cares about is your heart. And he's, he's trying to help you look in the mirror here and see who you actually are. Um, the, what Chris Christopherson called in his song the silver tongue devil like to mm. you know there's this there's a part of you that you don't want to see but uh, it's in there and that's what you have to deal with I think that's like such a good word to um, also touch pastorally on what he says about divorce in this particular mm-hmm. passage um, everybody every pastor all of us have someone who's divorced in our congregation. And maybe it's or you. <laughs> maybe it's you, and uh, you're going to hear this word, and you're like, what the heck? And um, he says, I mean, he says it right here. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of adultery, uh, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, first of all, um, Jesus is talking to men, and uh, and he is reminding that um, only a man could divorce his wife. Yeah, a woman absolutely. Couldn't divorce her husband. And it basically was um, a result of. Uh, he'll go on to say in a couple chapters later uh, that this was the result of your hard hearts. Moses allowed this, and people were divorcing women. I mean, there were two schools of thought. Um, the um, I forget the name of the, the schools, but there were two schools. One was you could divorce your wife, like if she salted your meat wrong. Mm. And then there was the other, you know what I mean? And it was like, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Mm-hmm. That was all they had to do. And uh, there was another school um, that was like, well, it had to be certain things, but these were like the 20 things that allowed a divorce. But nonetheless, it was brutal. And what he's doing right here is one, he's putting men and women on equal playing field. Mm. Uh, you're, you are responsible, you know what I mean? But the, the thing that you really want to hit here is not Hebrew divorce laws. That's not what we want to talk about. Uh, what we want to talk about is death. Mm. And uh, there isn't a, I mean, I've only once in my ministry uh, met somebody that wasn't profoundly remorseful mm. in some aspect of their divorce, even if it wasn't like they weren't the cause of it. Right. But there has been if there's you talk, a death, there there's is a, a grief. death, and there's a grief, there's a sadness. and uh, and um, and that's where God actually works um, uh, in death and in grief, and uh, that is where uh, He brings about resurrection and new life and and new new possibilities yeah. in and, the midst of this. And so this. That's, I mean, and that is that is a word of comfort you can deliver to a person in your congregation who's been divorced. Yeah. And uh, and ultimately, it's when we die. I mean, when when we can say I can't do it, is that when we can truly give our lives over to God and be who we're supposed to be, creatures mm. and uh, and people. Faith doesn't make us supernatural. That's what Paul is fighting against in the Corinthian church. Faith actually makes us natural and normal, mm. uh, human beings, creatures, totally reliant upon the grace of God. Amen. And I think the the other thing that I often talk about when and if I address this teaching on divorce, because it is the part of the passage that is mm-hmm. that that most personally lands specifically on many people in your congregation, um, and it will make can make them feel judged and ashamed. But 
Um, I think uh, what I always tell people is that Jesus here is using first century language in his religious context to talk about something that is true, which is that when you get divorced and remarry, the bonds of that previous marriage, just because you have a decree from a judge that says the marriage is now void and no longer exists, the bonds that you formed with that person don't go away. Um, if you have children with that person, they will continue to ask about the your ex, and uh, you'll have to deal with it at holidays, and you'll have to deal with the emotional stuff that comes around on that person's birthday, even though you're not married. So the the that person will still be in your dreams, uh, even if you don't want them to be. So there, the Jesus is saying, just because you divorce, you're you are treating divorce very lightly. Yeah. And what I'm trying, what he's trying to show you is that is just because you get a paper that says you're divorced. The, the bonds are not so easily broken and will continue to have an ongoing impact in your life. Um, and so he's using very kind of strong, again, first century language about that. But I think he's saying a thing that is essentially true, which, again, like all these statesmen, statements, is supposed to make you realize that um, I've met the enemy and he is us. Like, you know, I've, I've, I, as you said, I look in the mirror and I, I see the enemy and then I shave him, or however you said it. But, uh, uh, the, to, to realize um, kind of who we are deep down. Um, mm. People who are often self-absorbed and unable to make the right... By the way, he doesn't say that if you're evil. He says that you cause them to commit adultery. That's what he says. Meaning you, you are someone who has a psychosexual, physical, emotional bond with somebody... And that doesn't just disappear because you got a piece of paper and then you form the... Uh, psychosexual, physical, spiritual, emotional bond with somebody else. And that's sort of what he's talking about. Um, and um, he's already said that everybody commits adultery. And so he's, he's again, he's using strong, shocking language to make you realize something about the human condition. Um, every, this, everybody is leveled by this passage. Um, and Jesus diagnoses the human problem. And he brings us to the end of ourselves. And then he goes on to die for us and forgive us. Mm -hmm. So, like, you have to kind of keep that there as well. Um, there's not a single... There's no one who, after hearing the Sermon on the Mount, has is standing on some higher moral ground than anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, everybody is brought low. Or I'd say brought, hopefully, to an honest appraisal of themselves. And then that's when the grace of God is applied. And that's why I say in these passages... Um, whether you this is one of those Sundays I think you can preach on all three they fit together well thematically there's mm -hmm. the you know you begin with the Old Testament do it yes we can and then Jesus shows us no we can't and then you get to the Corinthians who show us that even for the Christian this is an ongoing difficult mm -hmm. struggle and we still need a savior and you want to make sure that you end I would say please with grace with mm -hmm. the grace of God yeah let your yes be yes or your no be no anything more than that comes from the evil one and then, uh, Jesus, what does Paul say? Um, every answer is a yes in, in Christ. Christ Jesus. That's right. And uh, to you, you are given a yes uh, in Christ Jesus. To you, you are given life in Christ Jesus. And to you, you are filled with Christ Jesus. And he's working out all things through the good, for the good, uh, for those who are called according to, your, to his purposes through different people. Mm. Well... 
that's it for this as we head through the end of the season. Well, it's not technically a Next season, week. but the, the Sundays after the Feast of the Epiphany and this revealing that God is for all people and that sinners get forgiven and Gentiles get welcomed in and they're surprising people that are going to be in heaven. So we, uh, yeah, next Sunday is the last Sunday after the Epiphany, and then we head into everybody's favorite season of Lent. Yep. Um, so start thinking about how you can use your spiritual disciplines to make you a better, thinner, more well-adjusted you, which is the point of Lent. All right, until next time. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.